Hi guys, this is Jake Parker. Welcome back to another episode of the Beyond Fit podcast, where it's my job to help you apply knowledge that is both scientific and practical into your own life to maximize your physique development and your overall body, as well as your mind. The combination of these two things is what makes you Beyond Fit. Hi guys, thank you for tuning in to episode 170 of the Beyond Fit podcast. This is Jake Parker. Today, I'm going to go ahead and explain some bodybuilding terms that you may have heard of in the context of training and nutrition. You may have heard me use on my Instagram or podcast and maybe somewhat familiar with them or maybe have no idea at all. Either one is fine. I think this will help out the beginner or intermediate advanced lifter. I just want to preface and say that these terms are going to be in the context of the specific type of training that I do, which is focused pretty specifically on improving physique, improving, improving body composition. So some of these might be looked at a little bit differently in the context of sport or weightlifting in the sense of competitive Olympic type weightlifting or powerlifting. But in my own bodybuilding slash powerlifting sort of style of training that I've emphasized over the past few years, these are how I look at these terms and how I've come to apply them to my own life. I often talk about the fact that I I see myself more as a lifestyle bodybuilder than a bodybuilder who is focused on the day in, day out and the competitive nature of bodybuilding. I've always said, I think that I'll eventually enter into a bodybuilding competition, but it just really depends on my life circumstances. And if I ever feel like I can really dig out the time and focus necessary that that sort of a commitment would take, but I will always bodybuild to maintain my overall health and maintain the look that I like. And so I think that anyone who is just working out, lifting weights to look better, feel good, be healthy, can use any of these terms in their day-to-day life, in their training, even if they're not an elite level bodybuilder or someone who wants to compete or anything like that. Just anyone who looks wants to look great and wants to feel great, because I think one of the biggest advantages of bodybuilding is it's a good way to focus on your health and not have to really get super focused on the details because bodybuilding entails a certain level of cardiovascular health, uh, muscular health, proper diet, all that kind of stuff. So I talked about why I think that that's a great way to just maintain your overall health before, but uh, before we get into it, just a reminder that I am still offering coaching right now. Um, As far as today, being the seventh, I do still have spots available in my coaching. So if you have been curious at all to figure out what that might look like for you to go through one-on-one coaching with me, be sure to reach out by email or DM on Instagram. I always leave both of those in the description of these podcasts. Um, So if you want to work with me and optimize your physique, optimize your health and figure out how to apply some of the things I'm going to talk about today into your own life, then make sure you contact me and we can talk more about that. But 
I'm going to jump right into this here. I'm going to split this into two sections. One is going to be nutrition specific terms. And then the next one is going to be training specific terms. So the first one here is metabolism. What exactly is our metabolism? How do we define that? So basically we have our basal metabolic rate, which is just the calories that your body burns from staying alive, from doing the day-to-day, -day, not even day-to-day -day activities, but just functioning to keep you alive to basically, I, I talk about basal metabolic rate as the amount of calories that your body would burn. Even if you were just sitting on the couch all day or laying in bed all day, you need these to stay alive. That is going to be about 70% of the overall calories that you burn in a day. Typically, um, I'm going to use myself as an example here in quite a few of these, but my basal metabolic rate is around 2000 calories a day. So when you add this other 30% that I'm going to talk about here, I tend to burn about 2,600 calories at maintenance. And so I'll go into in the next couple bullet points, what the implications of that is, but the other 30% is made up by physical activity being 20%. And that is exercise and NEAT. N-E-A-T, the acronym is non-exercise activity thermogenesis. So any activities that you do that are not exercise that are burning calories. So working around the house um, to a small extent, working at your computer, walking to work, this will be a lot bigger if you have like a physical job or you have to labor or are, are active for a lot of the day. Brushing your teeth is a very small part of non-exercise activity and thermogenesis. Um, you know, anything as small as walking around your kitchen, doing the, the things that it takes to make dinner, all these things are burning a few calories here and there. And obviously you can try to infer what might be the, the bigger allotment of these, but exercise and non-exercise activity thermogenesis. So that burning of calories that you use when you're just doing normal activities throughout the day make up the 20% of your metabolism that is based on physical activity. And the last 10% is the thermic effect of the food you eat. So the food that you eat takes some energy to be burnt up and utilized by the body. So that is the rest of the calories that your body burns in a day that make up your metabolism. Uh, very shortly here, protein is going to take the most energy by the body to break down. And then carbs are next. And fat takes the least amount of energy to be burnt down by the body. So often, if you are on a really low calorie diet or really getting nitpicky with your diet, uh, if you do increase that protein intake or make sure that you focus on getting a high protein intake, you may be able to bump your metabolism up by a little bit, keeping that as a focus. But again, 10% is a pretty small amount and it doesn't vary a lot, um, but you definitely can focus on getting protein, also getting complex carbs as opposed to simple carbs to try to get that thermic effect of food a little bit higher than it would be naturally. When it comes to metabolism, I think it's important to note that why I'm so big on weightlifting and why weightlifting, powerlifting, bodybuilding are such great endeavors for anyone who just wants to maintain their body composition, wants to look good and feel good is because the more muscle you build, the higher your body's natural metabolism is going to be. So muscle takes a lot more calories to maintain than fat does. So the more you're working on building muscle, the more your body is going to just absorb calories on a daily basis. 
just to function. Like I said, my basal metabolic rate is about 2000 calories, which is pretty high. I'm about 185 to 90 pound man most of the year, uh, working on bumping my body weight up a little bit right now. But when you develop a lot of muscle on your body, when you grow a lot of muscle, it just takes more calories to keep that there and to keep you looking the same and to keep your musculature up. So that's a good thing in the hypercaloric state we live in, where uh, if you're an American or anyone in an industrialized society, we have the negative, the, not the negative, excuse me, the opposite problem that people used to have in the past, which is we have too much food at our disposal. We have too many calories at our disposal versus in the past, it was a lot more likely that you were to struggle not to get enough calories, not to get enough food and nutrition. Um, but now that food is so available and calories are so easy to get, we have to manage that by trying to burn more calories or at least not eat as much. So doing one of those two is what we're going to have to focus on. So in increasing your metabolism and making it so that your body just burns more calories naturally makes it so that any decisions that you make to eat more calories, which oftentimes is just that primal urge to stuff yourself, which we still have because we grew up uh, ancestrally in a calorie scarce environment. So anytime you're eating a lot of calories, uh, you're exposed to a lot of calories every single day, that becomes less and less of a burden and more and more of a uh, necessity, the more muscle mass you gain, because like I said, your body just has that natural metabolism and needs to eat up more calories just to stay the same, to stay in homeostasis, to feed your basal metabolic rate. The next nutrition term I wanted to define here, and the next few are all going to be basically things that tail off of understanding how your metabolism works. So I'm going to talk about a cut and then I'm going to talk about a bulk. So a cut to me is synonymous with fat loss. You've heard me say that before probably and cutting weight and preferably trying to cut body fat. And I'll tell you how to try to do that. Um, but attempting to lose weight just means that you are eating in a calorie deficit. So you add up the, the amount of calories that your body burns in a day based on the equation that I just talked about. And you have to eat less than that for a sustained period of time in order to lose body fat. Hopefully it's body fat and not just body weight because you want to try to focus on maintaining muscle and not just losing muscle at the same time as you're losing body fat. The only way to lose weight, the only way to lose fat is to be in some sort of a calorie deficit. Now I always say it's helpful to count calories, but it's not necessary. You can get in a calorie deficit by not counting calories, by just being more careful about what you eat, by emphasizing certain things and cutting out certain things. Certainly it is easiest to count calories if you can do that accurately, because you're going to know for sure that you're in a calorie deficit, but that is the main and only driver of if you are losing weight, then you know that you're in a calorie deficit based on how much you're eating and how much you're burning some combination of the two. Now, when it comes to keeping muscle mass and trying to burn body fat, as opposed to burning the muscle on your body, your body's pretty resilient. So I always say that you can be more aggressive with your calorie deficit than you can with your calorie surplus, because I encourage clients to go on about a 15 to 25% calorie deficit, which again, using myself as, as an example, if 2,600 is my basal metabolic, sorry, not my basal metabolic, right. But my, my base metabolism with the workouts I do in a week and a normal level of activity for me and all that good stuff, then it's going to take about 1900 to 2200 calories for me to lose fat 
in a 15 to 25% deficit. So doing that, as well as very importantly, continuing to lift heavy and hard as much as is possible and as much as goes along with my plan and eating in a diet that maybe is even more high protein than I'm used to. So I often encourage going even above one gram of protein per pound of body weight up to 1.2 or 1.5 grams of protein per pound of body weight. If you're in an aggressive cut in order to maintain muscle mass, because your body will hold on to muscle mass to some extent. I always say that your body's resilient in that it will hold on to muscle mass a lot better than it does hold on to fat. Fat's a lot more easy to burn for energy, but eventually if you're, if your deficit is too aggressive, or if you don't have a high enough protein intake, or you don't have essentially some reason for your body to keep that muscle. So you have a high stimulus in terms of training, you're going to lose a little bit of muscle mass. So doing what you can to keep that to a minimum is going to help your physique look better when you cut down and to lose body fat as opposed to just losing weight. So aim for about that 15 to 25% deficit because your body is preferentially preferentially going to burn body fat as opposed to muscle. But again, keep in mind that high protein intake and aggressive training stimulus to keep that muscle on diet break is the only other word I wanted to define here in terms of words that have to do with a cut terms we may use in a cut. A diet break is simply going back up to eating at maintenance for a period of time while you're on a cut, while you're on a fat loss focus. And the point of this is to kind of give yourself a psychological break from dieting and get back to feeling a little bit stronger and better during training and feeling like you get that psychological relief of, oh, finally, I get to eat more. I don't have to cut as many foods out. I get to eat my, my maintenance level of calories and that feels good. So doing this in a period of cutting in a period of fat loss is very helpful for just staying the course. Um, often this will happen about every month or so for me during a fat loss period or during a cut. And that will help keep me on track for a two to three month period that I'm trying to cut uh, and lose this body fat. So I often include diet breaks for myself and for clients. That's almost a staple. Um, you probably don't need this if you're going from a period of being really overweight. So being say above 20, 25% body fat, it's not going to be necessary for a while for you to take a diet break because your body has so much body fat to burn and you're probably not going to feel really restricted or really like you're hungry, lethargic, not getting very good training because the semi-negative effects from dieting only really start to come into play when you're going from maybe the high teens to mid teens to low teens, or maybe just dipping into the one or not the 1%, but the single digit uh, body fat ranges. But that's kind of a different story at that point. We'll go on to bulking now to define bulking. That is when you are eating in a period of calorie surplus in order to gain muscle. So for me, like cut is synonymous with fat loss. Bulk is synonymous with muscle gain, with trying to put on muscle. So right now I'm in a very extended period of a bulk in what I would call a lean bulk, where I'm only eating a few hundred calories above my maintenance in order to try to slowly gain muscle. And again, the main reason behind that is that muscle gain is much slower than fat loss. So when I talk about a bulk, I encourage people to eat about five to 15% above their 
uh, maintenance rate of calories, their metabolism, because that muscle is going to come on slower relatively to how quickly fat comes off. So going into a more aggressive bulk is for the most part only going to add unwanted fat gain. So we usually refer more to lean bulking when we're talking about bulking, just because that's going to help most of the gains you make be from muscle and not from fat. And I think it's important to mention that in either case, in a cut or a bulk, you're not going to lose entirely fat and you're not going to gain entirely muscle, but optimizing these processes is what's going to help you to try to optimally lose fat and maintain muscle in a cut and gain muscle and not gain a lot of fat in a bulk. Um, but it's never going to be possible for it to be, you know, 99% to hundred percent muscle in a bulk or fat in a cut. So just keep that in mind. You have to expect that uh, these things come with certain caveats and those are the main ones. Um, in a bulk, you're trying to eat in a calorie surplus. Like I said, about five, sorry, five to 15% above your maintenance. So for me, again, being at a metabolism that burns about 2,600 calories on average. And keep in mind, that's with me training uh, four or five days a week and also going on walks almost daily. So I factor that in my physical activity. So you can't just assume that, oh, my basal metabolic rate is 16, 17, 1800, or whatever it may be, if you're a relatively large male, um, you can't just assume that your numbers are going to be close to mine. If you're not consistently working out, consistently getting in some sort of movement, you know, some sort of low level activity, sports, uh, running, walking, you know, classes, whatever that may be, you have to factor in your activity. And basically what I'm saying is you can't go from not having any activity to saying, oh, well, I'm in, a, I'm in a deficit or a surplus based on what Jake said. Well, no, I'm factoring in that I'm a very active person. So uh, something that I might encourage is going online and just finding a good um, calorie calculator of some sort where you can plug in how active or sedentary you are and how much you weigh, how tall you are, et cetera, et cetera, to figure out about what a day of energy expenditure that is metabolism might look like. So for me, when I'm trying to bulk, I'm going to eat anywhere from about 2,900 to 3,200 calories to put on muscle, to put on weight. Uh, that's what I've been doing right now over about the past. I plan on this bulk being about a year because I'm really focused on just that really slow muscle gain and don't mind putting on some extra fat just because I feel like right now more than ever, it's a good time for me to maximize my training and try to put on as much muscle as possible um, just to kind of see, I guess, where my genetic threshold is. But what you're going to use in a bulk that is sort of like the diet break in a cut is a mini cut. So during a bulk, if you really feel like you have, you know, maybe had a couple of weeks where you're eating way too much and you put on fat a little bit too quickly, or you just kind of reach a point where your appetite starts to fade and you're not quite as hungry, you are going to want to implement a mini cut, which is just a period of a week or two, kind of like the diet break where you're eating in a calorie allotment that is slightly below or maybe 10, 20% below maintenance. So it's a mini cut where you're going to maybe lose a little bit of fat. Uh, but the point just being that you're going to come back to the bulk ready to eat again, uh, feeling like you're relatively lean. And it's going to be one of those things where you don't have to break the bulk, just like a diet break allows you to not totally break the cut. 
but sort of take a break from it and come back refreshed and ready to get back into that calorie surplus that's required. As far as protein intake with a bulk, you want to focus a little bit less on protein intake. It's great if you can still get one gram of protein per pound in body weight or a little bit above that, but anywhere above about 0.7 grams of protein per pound of body weight is going to be fine in a bulk because your body is not so much worried about um, catabolizing muscle for energy when you're in a bulk because you have that surplus of calories. So your body's like, I'm, we're fine. We don't have to, to break down as much muscles. We might have to in a cut. So that is going to be the focus there as far as protein. The middle ground in between the cut and the bulk is going to be eating at maintenance calories and just maintaining the body that you have. Um, I think it's important to note that there's not a level you can be at where you're hundred percent in maintenance, where you're completely staying at the same body weight day in, day out, because it's just impossible to get that close with tracking, with tracking your activity and tracking your calories, but you can get close enough that it's negligible moving up or down in muscle or fat day by day. And in a period of weeks or months, you relatively look the same. You feel the same. Your lifts are staying about the same. You're maintaining the same level of leanness, not gaining or losing much fat. And this can be useful if you feel like you've gotten to a place that you want to be at and you want to maintain that for a while. Maybe you're getting busier for a while and you don't want to focus on cutting or bulking. Maybe you feel like you're really close to a place where you're at your genetic potential and you feel like, okay, it's just time to maintain the hard work I've put in. Whatever it is for you, um, maintenance can be a perfectly sound goal and just make sure that you don't let things go by the wayside because that could lead to unnecessary fat gain or muscle loss. You still have to focus on your nutrition, eating about a gram of protein for pounded body weight or something close to that and not having days where you just eat four or 5,000 calories, which can happen easier than you think um, because that's going to lead to unwanted fat gain. But maintenance is a good goal for a lot of people for a lot of reasons. So if you are attempting to do that, just make sure you follow the protocols that I've kind of already mentioned. Um, with maintenance, you may be able to put on muscle. It'll be slow, but it definitely is possible, especially because your body just continues to adapt neurologically to the lifts that you're doing. So you may put on a little bit of muscle depending on who you are during a maintenance, but your best bet is to be in a small calorie surplus in order to put on muscle reliably. As far as knowing which to do in terms of cutting or bulking, if that's going to be the focus for you, I have essentially a little guide here, a little cheat sheet, cheat sheet so to speak. If you are a male, uh, if you're a female, you can just go ahead and add about 8% to these numbers. But if you're a male, you should cut. If you have over about 17, 18% body fat, uh, most guys are going to feel pretty lean at or below 14% or lower. So getting up to that 17, 18, maybe even 19, 20, depending on your body type is going to be a good time to lose a little bit of body fat before you go into a defined bulk. And I would encourage any men, again, women at about 8% to this, uh, to bulk if you are at or below about 11 or 12% body fat. So go ahead and look up online what your specific body fat may look like as far as in a picture. So Google maybe 
body fat percentages. And I'm sure you'll get some pictures to just get a good idea. Cause I think pictures are the best indicator. Uh, you can get a caliper online, but those are pretty tough to properly use. Maybe your gym has like a DEXA scan that can measure your body fat, but the best way to use, or the best method to use is probably just going to be pictures. It's really easy and accessible. Estimate your body fat. And if you feel like you're over 17, 18%, cut down a little bit to lose some body fat. If you feel like you're around 11, 12%, you're pretty lean, then bulk up to a period where you're getting around or over 15% before you think about cutting back down. But this is all going to be based on the individual too. So I don't want you to take this as hard and fast. It's more of just a guideline because different people are going to wear different body fat percentages differently just based on what their genetic structure is like. So my 11% could look shredded, whereas someone else's 11% might want to be a little bit leaner until they feel like they're shredded. Or I might walk around feeling good at 16 or 17% or maybe feeling like shit, you know, on the opposite end. Whereas someone else might see 16, 17% as just an unacceptable amount of fat just because of how it gets proportioned on their body. So this is really specific. And so I just, again, want to encourage people not to get caught up in the semantics of the specifics of your body fat. Because another thing to note is that you can never know for sure, unless you're taking a really scientific um, sort of measurement, however that may be, even a DEXA scan, I don't know, is super scientific how much body fat you really have, because it's hard to tell exactly. So this is a very individualized thing that you want to think about to move on to training specific bodybuilding terms explained. We're first going to talk about progressive overload, which I talk about a lot on the podcast and on my Instagram. Progressive overload is just the process of getting stronger over time. I often highlight the fact that you really can't divorce muscle gain from strength gain. So it's important to increase weight reps or some other variable in the lifts that you're doing in the exercises that you're doing. If you want to gain muscle, if you want to change your body in that way, I most often encourage double progression, which is simply increasing both reps and weight as time goes on. Uh, that's an easy way to progress overload. Otherwise you can focus on tempo. You can focus on decreased rest. You can focus on better mind muscle connection, which I'll talk about here in just a second, or you can also focus on just a better range of motion or better form overall in order to progress over time. So another couple definitions you've probably heard before are compound lifts and isolation lifts. Compound lifts work multiple muscle joints and muscle groups at once and isolation lifts do what they sound like. They isolate one muscle group at a time. And the difference between these is compound lifts are going to be better for growth overall because they're gonna be more focused on hypertrophy, that is muscle gain over large parts of the body versus just singular parts. So think here, a tricep extension versus a bench press. A bench press is gonna focus on the pecs. It's gonna focus a little bit on the shoulders, the anterior delts specifically, and the triceps, whereas the tricep extension is only focused on the tricep in particular. So with compound lifts, you want those to be about 70% or more of your training. And you want isolation lifts, therefore to be about 30% or less. You want to put compound lifts first in terms of timing in your training and Compound lifts are going to be a lot better geared towards increasing reps and weight over time because you can just lift so much more. 
Whereas isolation lifts are going to be a little bit better for focusing on mind muscle connection, focusing on getting a better range of motion and just better form overall, because you can only increase weights and reps so much when you're doing a small amount of weight to begin with. So think about, for example, the bicep is involved in the deadlift as well as the bicep curl. But with the deadlift, you might improve, you might improve 50 to hundred pounds over the course of a year. Whereas with a bicep curl, the biggest guy in the gym and the smallest guy in the gym are maybe curling, I don't know, 15 pounds and 40, 50 pounds. So there's only so much you can move up over time. That's why it's better to hone in on how can I get a better mind muscle connection? How can I get better form on something like a bicep curl or a lateral raise for your shoulders? Um, what mind muscle connection is here essentially is just how you feel the lift, how you feel the movement in the intended area that you're focusing on. So with a bicep curl, how well can you feel and isolate the bicep on a lateral raise? How, how well can you feel and isolate the deltoid? Um, that is the part of the shoulder that is basically, I feel like I'm pointing to my upper arm right now to where the deltoid is, but Google that if you're unfamiliar, um, that should be something easy to figure out online. But mind muscle connection is just feeling the intended muscle. And this is so much better focused on with an isolation lift because on compound lifts, you're so much more focused on just lifting the weight up and trying to, you know, it's heavy and it's difficult. So you're not really so much focused on specific muscle groups as you are just moving the weight. And that's different with isolation lifts. So that's kind of how progression can differ on the two. Periodization is the division of the training process into specific phases. So basically what this means is I mentioned the word hypertrophy a couple of times, and maybe that deserves its own definition, but I'll try to make it clear. Like I, like I think I just did hypertrophy is basically more of a focus on muscle growth. And that is in not opposition, but in a little bit of a different focus than purely strength growth, uh, strength focus, because that's gonna, the strength is most going to come in the one to five rep range and the muscular hypertrophy is most going to come in the five plus rep range, maybe five to 15 reps. And then anything above 15 reps is going to be more focused on muscle hypertrophy. Again, that's something not to get too caught up on because anytime you're getting stronger, you are gaining muscle, but that five plus range, depending on the lift is going to be best. If you really want to focus on muscle girth and size hypertrophy, there is a caveat to that. A lot of times I say that the best rep range for muscle growth is the one that you're not doing because we know that the body most reacts to novel stimulus. So if you've spent years or just a handful of months, like three to six months working in the eight to 12 rep range, going down to that four to six rep range is going to introduce new muscle growth just because it's such a different stimulus for the body. So in terms of periodization, I like to split up between basically my periodization mostly focuses on different rep ranges. I spend some time in the four ish to six ish ish range and maybe a little bit lower um, to really emphasize my strength. And I'll spend a little bit more time in the five plus rep range, sometimes like five to 10, sometimes more like eight to 12, sometimes a little bit higher, like 12 to 16, but it's all really dependent on the type of muscle that I'm working. So for example, lateral raises, again, I'll go back to that are not very often going to be done with anything less than about 12 reps, just because of the way that they're suited. And something like a deadlift is not often going to be done with anything less than like six to maybe eight reps, because it's so much more taxing. So it's hard to say that I'm focused on one specific rep range across all exercises, because they vary so much. 
Uh, but with, with periodization, some one of the reasons I focus on strength sometimes as opposed to just this hypertrophy range if I want to get bigger and stronger over time and specifically just get bigger and improve my physique is that you have to focus a little bit on strength in order to just have more strength in the hypertrophy rep range. So a good example might be like if I'm working on sets of 10 with my bench press and I'm doing 200 pounds just to keep it easy. I'm doing 200 pounds for sets of 10 and then I focus on uh, smaller rep range, like sets of five, and I really get stronger with heavier weights, then maybe I can do, I can come back to that hypertrophy rep range and do 210, 220 for sets of 10 easily because I've improved my strength over time. And that, imp that improves my ability to lift in that hypertrophy range. Hopefully that makes sense. Um, but my periodization over time, over the course of a year, usually looks like uh, heavy strength type training for a few months. And then the rest of the time is pretty much spent in the hypertrophy anywhere from five plus eight to 12 is very common. A little bit of time in like the 12 to 15 plus, but not very much because that's mostly just going to be hypertrophy. Uh, think about more of like athletes that might be focused on something specific like that. But again, it's not to be discounted that that is a novel rep range that can uh, introduce some, some new muscle gains. So that's how I look at periodization. Um, in terms of periodization, I'll often talk about mesocycles, which meso technically I believe means month, but the way I look at a mesocycle is it's just a training phase, usually anywhere from two to three months in the course of an annual training plan. So basically my periodization usually takes the form of four mesocycles, maybe five or six on a given year, but every mesocycle I'll switch my focus. So rep range and I'll switch the exercises too. It's really important to stick with the same exercises for an extended period of time. And if you're a beginner intermediate, I would definitely advise to go even farther beyond two to three months with the same exercises, because you can really squeak out all the gains possible from specific exercises. Um, but the way I might change is that instead of doing an underhand barbell row, I might switch to a overhand cable row, you know, small things like that, where it's still a movement for the back but it's just a little bit differently focused on how I'm gripping, what machine I'm using, stuff like that, because it's going to work the muscle a little bit differently. So that's how I change things in terms of a mesocycle. Programming is the manipulation of variables within phases. So think sets, think reps and load. Uh, programming is just what you're doing in the day-to-day -day of the gym. Volume is another term I wanted to find here that has to do with programming. Volume is just how much work you do. So the number of sets and reps, we like to often talk about hard sets in this context because hard sets are basically to me, just sets that aren't bullshit. You can't just run through and do, oh, well I did my you know three sets of 10 on whatever exercise this is. But if it was just lackadaisical and you were really burnt out, then I, I don't love counting that in my overall volume because that might get along the lines of, of what we refer to as junk volume. So when it comes to volume, you want to make sure the volume you're counting is going to be hard sets. Usually a general good rule of thumb is like 10 to 15 hard sets per week in order to grow muscle, maybe a little bit less if you're a beginner, maybe a little bit more if you're advanced, but that's a good rule of thumb. And uh, don't forget that when you look at how many hard sets you're doing, something like a bench press can count for one set of chest, one set of shoulders and one set of triceps, or at the very least, it might count for one set of chest 
and then one half set of shoulders and one half set of triceps. That's another way I've heard of people doing it. Um, but the benefit to doing more compound movements is you're more easily going to reach the top or the optimal range in that rep range. Um, I am a little bit more on the side of intense weightlifting. And essentially, I think that volume and intensity have an inverse relationship. So the more intense you lift, that is the closer to failure, the less volume you need. And for me, I've just found personally that my body grows a little bit better on a more intense weightlifting regimen uh, versus more volume focused, where you're really focusing on hammering and getting up into that 15 plus sets per muscle group. That's going to be really dependent on the individual and really dependent on what your experience is. Just, just, just like I said, individually. Um, but make sure you balance out in whatever way you can volume and intensity. Cause you can't just do endless number of super intense sets per week. If you're going to do that, like 15 plus rep range, if you're advanced and still trying to gain muscle with volume, you're going to have to taper back a little bit in terms of intensity, but make sure again, you toe that line and don't fall into that junk volume of just sets that you're sloppy on form. It's really not stimulating the muscle. It doesn't feel hard, you know, whatever that is. And, and you know that better than anybody else. Another term that's useful here in this context is auto-regulation, and that's basically making training decisions during or at the beginning of your workout, or just based on what's going on with your training, nutrition, and just lifestyle at the time. Auto-regulation might lead me to do three sets when I programmed four, or work at about 200 when I was trying to work at 220, 230. Just tapering back a little bit because you know yourself, because either you we're warming up and the weight felt really heavy. You're having a super stressful week. You're not sleeping well. You know that you're just overly sore. Whatever the variable may be, auto-regulation allows you to take a step back or a step forward if you're really feeling good. Oh, I was programmed to do 220, but I'm going to do 230 because I'm feeling great. Oh, I was programmed to do four sets, but I feel like I could really do five and just still be fine. Auto-regulation is something that comes, especially as you're more intermediate or advanced, but it's something that can be really useful in the terms of a, of a of a mesocycle to intelligently taper up or down in order to reach your goals. All right, a few more here. Let's see, we have failure. So failure to me is just defined as the point where you can no longer complete a rep with perfect form. Now this is important because sometimes we might feel like failure is repping out that quarter squat or that bench press that you bounce off your chest or whatever. But failure technically is the last set you can do with perfect form. So often this is an ego check for guys where you're probably using way too much uh, weight from time to time. Like I know that I've been known to do. RIR is reps in reserve. So going back to that intensity and volume, if you're going to take things to about a one RIR or reps in reserve, where you could do maybe one more good rep with perfect form, that's about as close to failure as you want to take it. That's going to be really intense. So you want to taper back volume. If you're going to be more at about a seven or eight, that's when you're really pressing volume and doing a lot more volume because it's going to be easier for your body to handle more uh, reps total in the workout. But I often encourage people to go to an eight or nine RIR, which is, sorry, I, I sometimes confuse RPE, which is rate of perceived exertion, which is on a sliding scale of one to 10. And so basically like an eight or nine RPE rate of perceived exertion would be eight or nine out of 10 is how hard it was. And an RIR of on a scale of one to 10 would be how many reps you had in reserve. So if you had one or two, that's essentially the same as an eight or nine RPE. Hopefully that makes sense. 
Um, but point being, you just want to take your intensity semi-close or maybe really close to failure if you're emphasizing intensity over volume, because that's what's going to be the ultimate driver of growth. And the last thing I wanted to mention here is a deload. I'm actually on a deload this week. A deload is just strategically taking time off from training in order for your body to catch up on recovery. This is only for people that are working out four five or more times per week. If you're only a two or three times per week uh, lifter, you're probably not ever going to need to deload because your recovery is going to be fully caught up most of the time. But anyone who is lifting hard and heavy four to five times a week may need a deload, which is basically where you just take, you can either take the week off, which is not as exactly a deload, but sometimes is what I'll do, especially if I have a vacation or something. But typically it just means doing about half of your normal volume in a week or half of your normal weight during a week. You can do a little bit less if you want to, if you're really under-recovered, if you're really feeling sore and run down. Uh, but that's the main point is just to be back to fully recovered because if you're doing this intense weightlifting the right way and following these principles, you're going to need to catch up on recovery from time to time and take a deload where you're not doing as much. You're doing a little bit just to continue to get that blood flow to the muscles and maybe even more so than anything, it's just keeping on it psychologically is the reason to still go to the gym during it, during a deload, but you're going to do mostly the same exercises at about 50% volume. So cutting maybe your sets in half or 50% weight where you're doing the same sets, but just at half the weight. And that's just, again, to let your body fully recover and deload from the heavy crushing weights that you've been doing. So I hope that this was helpful. Let me know if I let anything out. I'll be sure to clarify that. If you want to contact me, always happy to talk with any podcast listeners. Uh, if you have any suggestions for the podcast or anything you want to hear about, any guests you'd like to have me to have on, be sure to let me know. But other than that, just have a great rest of your week. Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning into the podcast. If you would, please take a minute out of your day to review and rate the podcast as well as subscribe. It would really help me out a lot. And if you're on Instagram, go ahead and follow me on there at jakeparker.fit and screenshot and tag me when you're listening to the show. I'll be sure to share it and thank you personally on there.